0: What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on Thursday evening? I know that when we talked last time, we said we're going to have a podcast out Wednesday night. But my co-host Matt Matta-Warren had some family stuff he's been dealing with and some work stuff. And so we were going to postpone to tonight. And then he said today that he couldn't make it. And so I had to go to the bullpen. And I found a dude that has not been on this podcast in four days years but you hear me talk about him all the time he is an incredible not only follow on x slash twitter because of the amazing stats he continues to churn out that i always mention this podcast but a great writer as well and continues to rise in the ranks here as he covers this clippers team justin russo joining myself at brandon marcus on the ethos clippers podcast justin how are you man I'm doing man. I'm doing good, man. I
1: can't believe it's been four years since I was last on, which makes me feel like I've kind of been skipping out on a lot of fun times.
0: I got to tell you, man, you are a tough person to just get on this pod. I've, I've reached out to you several times. You are a busy man. A couple of times we tried to make it work and it did not work, but you are a dude that I've been looking forward to having back on this podcast. So it's great to have you on and let's jump straight into it. Let's talk about the most recent news before we get into the last couple of games. That is that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have been named to the All-Star team as reserves. It's kind of a no-brainer when it comes to Kawhi Leonard because of what he has done this year. He has certainly been absolutely incredible going back to last season and then obviously this year as well. And then the big question was, would it be Paul George? Would it be James Harden? Would it be both? Would it be one? Which one would it be? Um, there have been some people talking, hey, it should have been James Harden over Paul George. Paul George had an incredible start. I mean, he was really good. Um, and then he's kind of tapered off a tiny bit here and there. Uh, and James Harden obviously is in pivotal to what the Clippers have done in their success. Uh, before I offer my take, though, I'm curious to get yours. Would you have had James Harden or would you have had Paul George as your second Clipper that be, that was named to the all-star team?
1: So it's kind of funny because, uh, well, first, I'll answer your question just straight out. I, I would have gone PG. Mm-hmm. I think PG was a deserving candidate. I'm I'm happy that he made it. I think he deserved to make it. It's a second straight All-Star game because uh, he also represented the Clippers at the All-Star game last season, if people don't remember, which I understand was, last season was kind of a, a forgettable season for a lot of reasons. But PG did make the All-Star game last year. Um, I think he deserved to make it this year. I don't really mind that James didn't make it. It's very hard to get three guys into an all-star game. Um, But if you're looking at just James versus PG individually, I think the start that PG had, and while James is the proverbial straw that stirs the drink, I think PG's numbers are a big enough reason to get him in. I, I think it's easy to overlook because of how much has happened with the team and how well they're playing overall. But PG shooting 46% from the field, 41% on 8.3 three-point attempts per game. That is a very high volume and an exquisite percentage on that high volume. I'm totally fine with him getting the nod over James. James, in any other year for the most part, would have been equally deserving. But I'm fine with PG getting it in. And in a weird way, it's kind of nice. It's nice to have PG in alongside Kawhi. It's the second time they've been all-star teammates together and uh, PG gets to go back quote unquote home to Indiana where he started his career. So that's a nice little uh, storyline as, as we head towards the all-star break.
0: Yeah. I love that part. I love that. He gets to go back to Indiana, a place that he thrived in and really was his home for a while. And that's kind of where he got his start and obviously had that terrible knee injury. Um, But he's a dude that has been rock solid this year and, I think the Harden versus PG thing is actually kind of more recency bias than anything. I mean, if you look at what PG has done overall this year, shooting forty-six percent, ninety-one percent from the line, three and a half threes a game, twenty-three points, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, one and a half steals. I mean, that's unbelievable overall. It's just the last two weeks where he shot forty-one percent and only had sixteen points per game, where people are like, "Oh, maybe maybe James should go ahead." But, I mean, you look at James overall and his stats, 17 points per game, five rebounds, eight and a half assists, and it's just the last two weeks for him have been really good and that he's averaging 19, seven, and nine. So I think it's more recency bias than anything, but if you take the overall picture, uh, I do agree with you. I think that Paul George should have gotten in over James Harden. That being said, I mean, James has been fantastic. So if there are some guys that drop out, it's possible that James's name doesn't alternate, but... I, I really think that this is a year that he's focused on just gaining the Clippers as far as possible, and it's an honor that I'm sure he'd be happy to have Paul George take over him, given that, like you said, I mean, he gets to go back to Indiana. It means a lot more to PG than it would to Harden, I'm sure, and it'll be fun. I mean, it'll be fun for Kawhi and PG, who have really built this thing as the two one three connection, to go together to the All-Star game. Um, and see what they can do. So I think it'll be fun for the two of them to go. And if James gets named, he gets named, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, yesterday in um, – oh, God, where did they play yesterday? Oh, in uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, James, uh, with reporters in the locker room after the game, uh, Law Murray asked him, you know, do you want to make the all-star team or does it not really – like does that matter to you? And James's quote was, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it doesn't. And he said it doesn't change or affect him, is what he said uh, to Law, Mary. So I kind of think James was at peace with the decision, whether whatever it was going to be. James uh, did end up saying to Law that last year was different because he led the league in assists at the time, and he thinks that and that might have been uh, the only time in the history of the NBA that the person who led the league in assists didn't make the All Star team. I don't know if that's actually like a statistical fact, but that's what James said that he thinks that might've been the only time. So I get why James last year was a little bit kind of myth that he didn't make the all-star team. I think this year he understands that the end goal is a lot more important than whatever happens in the middle of February in a Midwest city. Uh, The Clippers have three of the top 15 or 20 players in the league, however you want to classify it. So I think James understands that there's more at play here than just a exhibition game uh, in Indianapolis And he's more than happy to see PG go and kind of just get a week off, so to speak, as a result.
0: Yeah, and that's the one thing with PG is I hope that he does take it easy during that weekend, given that he's had these issues with his groin. And as of this writing, as we record this at 730 on Thursday night, he is a go for tomorrow. But we've seen several times this year where he has not been on the injury report, and then all of a sudden he's popped up the day of. And so we'll see if he's popping up on it tomorrow. I'm a little surprised they don't just lift, list him on there as probable. Like, it does no harm given that we all know he's battling a groin injury. Like, put him on there as probable. Don't let him just pop up on there as questionable two or three hours before the game. It's just, it's a weird dynamic. But with the All Star game, like, I hope he's taking it easy. I don't hope he doesn't do too much. It's more of just being there and the honor, and you play 10, 15 minutes, however it might be. And no need to irritate anything because, and like we've talked about, it's really about the bigger picture. And the last thing you want to do is play more minutes than you need to for an all-star game. So we'll, we'll see how they handle that. Um, but, I mean, it'll be a good honor for him. It'll be fun for him, and I, he deserves it. And he's done great for this team, especially in the last couple of years with Kawhi Hurt. He's really carried the load, and so good for him to do it and go back to Indiana.
1: Um, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny you mentioned the injury report thing because that's been a long thing a long running thing with the Clippers. Right. Is, yeah.
0: you know, the whole, the whole injury,
1: uh, transparency thing. But I mean, you know, obviously they feel comfortable and he feels comfortable enough to not like the day that the game off against the wizards might've helped them kind of just kind of take it easy. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's all he needed was a day off. But I mean, I'm with you. I think, I don't think there's harm in listing him. as probable, but I mean, he'll go through shoot around tomorrow uh, or, or I guess by the time people listen to this uh, on Friday, it'll be the day of the game. Um, so he'll go through shoot-around in Detroit and, you know, kind of figure out from there if, if he actually is going to play. Maybe they downgrade him, which is what they did um, uh, against the Wizards, because he wasn't on the initial Wizards injury report for that game. He ended up coming on to their, uh, I believe, the day of. So, you know, they've done this, you know, a couple times you know, the last couple of weeks with PG, he's not on it, then he's on it. But, you know, maybe if you list him as probable, it takes out some of that, uh, you know, little wishy-washiness. But at the same time, if PG feels like he's ready to go, and I think uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I also think there is a factor here, which is it's a contract season. He wants a lot of money. Um, he's playing like he deserves a lot of money. And with the 65-game requirement for All-NBA uh, I believe that is a factor and probably some of, not just him, but a lot of these guys uh, trying to push through injuries and ailments and, and dings and, and nicks that they wouldn't otherwise push through. But we've seen also the ramifications of that with Joel Embiid, who now his knee injury is potentially serious. And I believe Tyrese Halliburton tonight, I want to say he only played about 22 minutes uh, for the Pacers in a game against the Knicks in a game that he otherwise would have played upwards close to you know, 36, 37 minutes, but tonight he played 22 just to get to the requirement for the game played. So you're kind of seeing a lot of this for guys. And with PG, I would I would start to tend to believe that he does not want to miss games in an effort to make All-NBA. But also, with the head start that he got on playing this year, there is some leeway where, you know like we saw against Washington on Wednesday, if he were to take a game off, it's not going to really hurt him. So with the rest of the trip coming up, I wouldn't mind if at the end of this trip when they play Miami and then Atlanta to finish it on a back-to-back, if he takes at least one of those two games off to kind of give his body a break before they come back home.
0: Yeah, that's the question. Do you think that it's better off to give him a couple more days rest and have him sit that game um, against the Pistons, where the Clippers are currently ten half point favorites, and give him until Sunday against Miami? Or do you think you're better off having him play – However, 25 minutes, 30 minutes against Detroit and then play against Miami on Sunday and then sit him on that Monday against the Hawks. Like, do you think that you have a good chance to beat Atlanta without him? And so it's Atlanta, obviously, hasn't been great this year. I mean, they're 20 and 27. And then you look at the Pistons and they're 6 and 41. So the Pistons, obviously, you you should be able to win without him. That being said, OKC can tell you otherwise. It's just one of those it's just one of those things where you never know on any given night but you would think that maybe you give him a couple more days rest and then you can go and possibly play him in the back to back or maybe they think they're better off just having play every two days and then letting him sit perhaps in the game in the back to back who knows he may even play in the back to back we we really have no idea um, the injury yeah, we don't. the injury reporting thing, like you, you mentioned, it's kind of been a little spotty. It's something I mentioned on this podcast several times, like the fact that Kawhi Leonard was not on the injury report when he was sick and that Ty Lue said he wasn't even sure if he was going to play. If you're not sure if someone's going to play, that means they should probably be on the injury report because something's going on. But the Clippers have done that the entire year. They've done that for several years. They've been kind of wishy-washy, like you said, with injuries. But whatever, we move on. Um, and we'll see what happens. But either way, um, we kind of briefed past Kawhi Leonard, and you had a good l- little stat yesterday uh, about Kawhi, where you said that he's shooting 52.5% from the field, 45% on threes, and 89% from the line in over 80 games. That's in the start of 2023. So he's been on another level, and it's, like we said, an automatic kind of, of course, he's going to make the All-Star team. You could have made a case that he should be a starter Curious your take on what you've seen from Kawhi, because you get a chance to go in the building and watch him every single home game and you've been able to travel some road games as well in terms of what you've seen from Kawhi Leonard this year. What tell me uh what you thought, what you think. He
1: um methodical is the kind of just the word I've always used with him. Uh he never looks out of pace. Like like he's never sped up. Um there are times where he does appear out of whack on the court, like you can kind of tell where He's taking shots that he normally wouldn't take. But for the most part this season, he's been methodical, cerebral. He gets to his spots. He looks just good every single night. I don't think there's a player in the league, or at least if there is, maybe, let's see, Jokic probably, and and potentially even like LeBron. Like the guys who are just so consistent night in and night out that you end up taking them for granted to a, lot, to a large degree. And that's where I think Kawhi is, is his greatness is so – Just, it's there in your face all the time. You kind of get numb to it. And I know that, you know, scoring 25 and a half points over 80 games is nothing major. Like, guys do that all the time, especially in this era of the NBA where Luka is averaging like 32 a game and Trey Young's at almost 30 and 10 a game. Like, I understand, like, a lot of these, we've become numb to the numbers in, in a lot of sense. But what Kawhi is doing as a mostly jump shooter, he does get to the rim, you know, here and there, but he is. Mostly a guy who operates from ten feet and out. And he's shoot and he's averaging twenty five and a half a game since January first of twenty twenty three. That's over eighty games. He's playing thirty-five minutes a night in those eighty games. You know, his true shooting percentage over that time is sixty three point eight percent, which is an absolutely bonkers number for a guy who takes as many jumpers as he does and doesn't get to the lane as often as other guys do. He's taking five free throw attempts a game during that time. It's not a ton. It's not you know like Shea who gets to the line probably nine ten times a night. So when you look at the overall aspect of Kawhi's game, there is just this kind of rare beauty in it where everything looks tough, but it's not tough for him. Where he's hitting jumpers from eighteen feet over you know a guy's hands, or he's spinning baseline and hitting baseline turnarounds with two guys trying to trap him, and he's just drilling them over and over, and you're just, you know, you're kind of mystified to a large degree uh, because he does feel like somewhat of, maybe not a throwback player, but a guy that you wouldn't normally see in this era of guys who mostly just get to the rim or take threes, Uh, you know, like Luca does that. Obviously, James Harden, who's now on the Clippers, Uh, even PG to a large degree has cut out. Um, I'm not going to say all of his mid-range game, but a large portion of his mid-range game. Uh, But where Kawhi, that's where he lives. He's gotten better in the mid-range as the years got along. It took him a little ways to get there. Uh, But he's basically back to the level that, you know, the Clippers kind of hoped to get when they signed him as a free agent in the summer of 2019. And I would say he's one of the five best players in basketball right now. And I know that's a little bit – maybe it's because I've seen him up close and personal throughout the season. Uh, you know, he's played 42 games. I've probably been in person for 26, 27 of them. And, you know, at a certain point you, you kind of start to appreciate it a little bit more, you know, being able to talk to him and and, and figure out how he thinks, but he is a very unique player and I hope people appreciate him when he is on the floor and he's been on the floor a ton this year. And I hope they appreciate what he's been able to do and how, um, just consistent he is. He's a consistent player. When he's on the floor, you always feel like the Clippers have a chance to win. And that's a rare thing in the league these days. I mean, if Clipper fans want to look across the hall, you know, the, the Lakers, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It hasn't been great this season. So, But even when LeBron's there, it hasn't been great. And that's not a knock against LeBron at all. It's just saying, like, how hard winning is in the league by just showing up and winning. And Kawhi just merely shows up and the team wins. I'm not saying like he has some superhuman powers or anything, but it's just how good he is, how much he affects the game on both ends. And it's just a real treat. I hope people actually appreciate it uh, throughout the season and kind of what he's been able to do.
0: And to add to that, the Clippers now are 21 and three in the last 24 games that Kawhi has played in. So to your point, when he plays, he's he's basically giving them a chance to win every single night, and they're winning ball games whenever he suits up. I mean, the Clippers are 23 and four since de- December 1st. They've been unbelievable, and I said before this road trip, if you go five and two, that's great. And of course, they lost against the Cavs, but they beat Boston, and let's listen, the Lakers beat the Boston today also, um, and then they took care of Washington, and bit, I mean, they're blowing out some teams, which is great to see. And for Kawhi last night. He was unbelievable. 31 points, nine rebounds, four assists, four steals, and a block, zero turnovers. And he played 30 minutes and scored 31 points and had zero turnovers. He was 13 of 21 on his twos and one of four from three. I mean, he's been unbelievable. You know
1: what's funny? You know what's funny is he has sat three out of the last four fourth
0: quarters. Wow.
1: Because of just because of how much they've been up. He sat in the fourth quarter against Toronto against boston and obviously on wednesday night against washington so you know for all the talk of load management and injury management one of the best ways to do it is to get to such a lead by the end of the third quarter that you don't have to play these guys in the fourth quarter so they're kind of getting a little bit more rest than they normally would get in a lot of games because you know as we've seen Kawhi's had some games where he's played you know usually around 37 minutes a night is what he's kind of about, like, we've seen 38s, 39s, a 40, I believe a couple 40s this year, I believe, against the Lakers uh, in one of the games. He got to about 41, I think it was. So, you know, anytime you're able to dial back some of his minutes and you look at some of these games on this trip, played 31 against Toronto, played 29 against Boston, played 30 against Washington, like, you're saving him an extra 8 to 10 minutes a night on his legs, and that matters. And we've seen a lot more explosiveness an explosion out of Kawhi with his dunks. I believe he has more dunks this season than he did last season already, which is a remarkable feat considering um, kind of towards the end of last season he started getting a lot more of explosiveness back. But this year, you know, he he looks like he's all the way back. And I remember there was a conversation with him, uh, I want to say very early in the season, I believe it might have been training camp in Hawaii, where he told us that year two is usually when guys feel – Um, like they're all the way back from an ACL surgery and for him, this is year two back from it. And as we've seen, he looks all the way back, took a little bit kind of, you know, getting, getting there, but he is fully there. And I think it's just an incredible thing because he and PG so far this year have played 1018 minutes together, which is only 10 minutes shy of the most minutes they've ever played in a season together, which came in. Uh, 2020 2021 they played a 1028 minutes that year they're only 10 minutes away from tying that and we're not even at the all-star break yet
0: they could do that in game number 47 which is just crazy because it's been 46 games they're 31 15 it's unbelievable that these two guys have come out and they've been healthy and to your point what you said earlier with pg these guys played early on, and so they can afford to sit a game here and there if they want to get to that 65 games, which is something that you never would have thought would be the case coming into this season. We thought that they are probably going to be sitting on back-to-backs, and who knows how many games they're going to miss due to injury, knock on many different parts of wood, all different types of wood, that so far they've stood healthy for the most part. And you got you got to be happy with the two of them. And listen, with Kawhi's healthy, he's now showing that he's certainly, like you said, you said top five. I don't think there's an argument there. I I really think it's, it. you look at the MVP race, and there's Embiid, if he even reaches that point, which he probably is not going to reach the 65 games now with his injury. You have Jokic, you have SGA, and then I think you have Kawhi. I think Kawhi's number three, and you can make a case for Jason Tatum. um, Boston teams to lose some games here, but I I think that number three right now would be Kawhi Leonard, right behind SGA and Jokic. Uh, uh, Do you agree or disagree?
1: i I found it hard. Like, it's like the MVP race, as you mentioned, because, like, Embiid's injury is likely going to take him out of the MVP kind of picture, so to speak. But then you look at, like, Tyrese Halliburton, who I brought up earlier. He's not going to most likely be in the MVP race because he's probably not going to get to the games played. Um, So I think, like, we're going to see the field narrow the closer we get towards the end of the season. Like, for instance, Luka Doncic, right? Played 40 games. But... He's like, I've been tabulating it as I've been going along throughout the season. And one of the things that's kind of been, you know, kind of sticking out to me is, oh, I apologize for the train if you can hear that. So sorry to everybody. (laughs) Um, Luca is only nine games, like he can only miss nine more games and then he's not eligible for MVP anymore. So guys are going to run up against this requirement and this limit. But, you know, you mentioned how PG and Kawhi played so much early on, they get some leeway when the schedule is kind of tough in March, the, the March schedule is very compact and there might be times in March where each one of them, you know, takes a game off here and there, and it's not going to affect um, their accolade and and their, um, their quest for honors, so to speak. But for Kawhi, I think he is probably top five in MVP. I don't know what the top three would look like. I know a lot of people are going to probably, you know, it's going to be the, the usual candidates, Jokic, Giannis and then SGA. I think SGA is probably the front runner just because there is a little bit of shock factor with OKC and he's been so good. Yeah. And that team is so young, but I do think Kawhi is firmly in the top five and I think you can make a case for top three, which makes it very funny that basketball reference has their MVP award tracker and Kawhi's is not on the top 10.
0: Yeah, that's absurd. It makes no sense at all. It means that those, I don't even know how they're tabulating that but it makes no sense whatsoever because if you look at where the Clippers are sitting third in the West, you look at where they were last year with Kawhi Hurt, um, where they've been with Kawhi Hurt, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, he's easily a top five guy. And it's interesting. The Clippers are flying under the radar and they continue to do so. But we'll take it. Um, We're going to take a quick break. we come back, there's a couple more players I want to hit on. All right, so... Two more guys that I think uh, that I really want to hit on. The first one um, is Amir Coffey. Uh, great article by Tomara Zarli of Clutch Points about Amir and his role and what he's gone through and all the different uh, parts of the Clippers organization. He's kind of been a part of when you look at the G League, you look at the two way. Um, he was a guy that really wasn't being heard from for a pretty long time. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers trade all these guys in Covington, Batum, and Morris and some minutes free up. And Covington, I mean, Coffee has really ran with them. And you look at this, he's really been that guy that has come in whenever Kawhi or PG has had to miss games. He's been the one that stepped in the starting lineup. You look at yesterday, 17 points, ultra efficient, 5 of 7 from the field, 5 of 5 from the line, 2 of 2 from downtown. I mean, this is a guy that really took over, I think it was in 2020, when he was being asked to play major mitts, when the Clippers had basically their entire team hurt, and he was great. And now he's been that dude that you're looking to step in, can be that glue guy off the bench, but then step in in the starting lineup when you need to. Curious your thoughts on Amir Coffee and what you've seen and what you've heard from him, because I've been really impressed. There was a time when I had Justin Wilson on, and we were talking about Amir versus Team Man. It was when Amir was really going through his impressive run and he said I would probably take Amir over T-Man and granted it was probably a prisoner of the moment type thing but it tells you about what Amir's capable of and we've really started to see the Clippers have two guys in T-Man and Amir Coffee that can defend, they can be that guy and more so for Amir than T-Man not afraid to shoot at all. I mean Amir whenever he's open, he's shooting and he's doing it well. So what are your thoughts on Amir and what he's brought to the Clippers?
1: So I hope he doesn't get mad at me for pointing this out or for bringing this up. I actually had a conversation with Amir uh, in early December um, in Los Angeles after a game uh, back when he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And I asked him um, if he was okay with the situation. And he said he was. He said, you know, he's just going to keep his head down. And I thought I think Tomer's article was was brilliant. I talked to Tomer before he published it. And, and, he, and he let me, you know, he let me some insight into it. It was a fantastic piece. And it summed up Amir's um, mindset very well. Uh, Amir, Amir to me is one of the easiest players on the team to talk to. I'll always read for him just because of how personable he is and how open he is to talk about literally anything. Um, but I talked to Amir and, and he said he was fine. Um, but and he said, the thing that stuck with me is he said he understands why the way things are the way that they are. Um, but he's just keeping his nose you know, to the grindstone, so to speak, and kind of just, you know, he's going to keep working is what he told me. And then in mid-December, he starts for, I want to say, was it PG against Golden State, I believe, so, where he starts at yeah. home. He started a game at home against Golden State, and he played very well. And he kind of has just been in the rotation ever since, which kind of sums up Amir, right? It's like he just kind of forces himself upon you, Uh on the court and you take notice of him all the time all the positives he brings he's very rarely ever out of position or making key mistakes that like actually hurt you so he's a quintessential basketball player to me every time I talk to him about anything X's and O's wise and anything on the floor like you he he exudes a guy who just gets it at a very high level and he's just been waiting for this opportunity. He got it in 2021-22. He had that marvelous uh, January run that year where he basically carried the Clippers for an entire month. You know, when it was just him, Terrence, Reggie Jackson, and Marcus Morris just carrying the Clippers every night. Um, this isn't that shocking to me from Amir. Maybe the shooting is. He's been so good as a shooter. I mean, he's making almost 42% of his threes. He's shooting 81% like directly around the rim. Um, Those are just astronomical numbers for a guy. Uh, He made 14 of his 27 threes in January. I don't expect that type of shooting to keep up. But the two things that Amir does very well, number one, he knows his role. Like he's never going to step outside of his role and do things you wouldn't ask him to do. And number two, he understands what are high value shots. He understands that he doesn't need to hesitate on pulling the trigger on threes when when past the ball, and he also gets out and runs and gets to the rim, thus creating higher efficiency shots around the rim, which the Clippers sorely and desperately need, especially in transition. So he supplies them that as well. He's an easy guy to root for. I honestly think he should stay in the rotation. Um, I know the trade deadline, we're about a week away from the trade deadline. I'm sure you're going to hear all sorts of rumors of guys you know, that the Clippers might be looking at which would require them to potentially send out Amir in some of those deals. Um, I think he's a guy that they should try to look to keep if they can. Um, I would understand if they don't, and they have to end up moving on to get someone else. But at the same time, he makes such a little amount of money. He's such a Swiss army knife type figure who can play the two, three, and four that he gives you value across the board. And he just buys into the system. He is a homegrown as Tomer wrote about. He's a homegrown guy. Him and Terrence are hundred percent homegrown guys. And I think they are important because they understand, you know, the the grind and they understand the system at a very high level, especially under Ty. And that matters, I think, to a team, you know, that has three um, supernova superstars who require the ball at all times, that you need guys around them who aren't high usage players and a mere isn't that he isn't a high usage player he understands his role and I think you need a guy like that around them
0: yeah and it's crazy though when the article point out that he's one of the longest tenured Clippers like it's weird to think about that for a guy that really has been in and out of the lineup but a guy that also has been pretty pivotal in certain moments and good memory by the way in that game against the Warriors they won by eight at home and Amir had uh six of 15 from the field four of 11 from three he had 18 points in the starting lineup as he replaced Paul George so good memory there Um, And you bring up a good point, and it's where I wanted to go next, and that is what do the Clippers do with the deadline? Because a lot of people have been floating around, hey, look at the guy last night, Kyle Kuzma. Do you trade your last first-round pick and maybe some other dudes in a a place for a guy like Kuzma? And I think that makes no sense whatsoever because I don't think Kuzma's a guy that you want to bring off the bench. I just don't think he would fit in well with where your team is. Um, I think the starting lineup is fine. You mean, look, look at Paul George when he's there. Then all of a sudden, you have Kawhi, you have Zoo, you have Harden, you have Mann, you have PG. It's a really good starting five. And then you have Amir, and you have Westbrook, and you have Norm, you have Tice or Plumlee off the bench. It's funny because part of me doesn't really want them to do anything because I don't want them to mess with something that has worked. And I've seen how long it takes for this team in certain moments to adjust. I mean, you look at what this Clippers team went through – when Russell Westbrook joined and how they lost a handful of games in a row. And then when James Harden joined and they lost a handful of games in a row. And I just think that they, they can't afford to go through one of those again when you're trying to get that one or two seed in the West. And so you bring in a big piece that all of a sudden changes your rotations and changes the way you play. And you bring in another personality that may or may not want to buy in to what you want them to do in their role. I just don't think it makes sense to make a trade, but at the same time, do, in a playoff series, do you want Amir Coffee playing 15 to 20 minutes if you need him to do so? Do you trust that he's going to be that guy? But at the same time, who are you going to trade for that you really will trust to be that guy? It's tough as a fan to watch and try and figure out what you want to do, but I kind of lean towards not doing anything. Um, where do you lean towards? Do you lean towards them doing something or not doing something? Because it, it kind of seems like they've got something good right now, but at the same time, we're not in the postseason, and we're not in that, hey seven, eight-man rotation, and you don't really know what it's going to look like for the Clippers, and it really feels like you're going to see Westbrook and Norm and maybe one of the bigs be those dudes, I don't know if it makes sense to bring in somebody else, if that makes sense.
1: So Lawrence Frank, for seven consecutive seasons, has made him move at or near the trade deadline. I'm just going to remind people of that because he always does something. Uh, does this mean he will do something this year? No, that doesn't mean that he'll do something this year, but the likelihood of him doing something is far higher than it would uh, for probably any other general manager or president of basketball operations in the league. He has a track record of making a deal around the deadline. What I will say is, uh, to the Kyle Kuzma point, I don't think a player making $25 million is the kind of guy that they're going to go after, mm-hmm. which is what Kuzma's making. And But the upside to Kuzma's contract is, I'll say this, the upside to Kuzma's contract is it is a declining contract so he's not going to be making $25 million this year and then have it go up. Actually, by the end of the deal, he's only making like 19 and million million. So it's not a deal that's going to kill them. But the reason I say I don't think they're going to go for a guy that's making $25 million is because if they go for a guy who's making that much money, they not only have to trade P.J. Tucker, but they're going to have to trade Terrence Mann because that's going to be the only way to bridge the gap in salary. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would like to remind people when you get to trade season is – The number one thing to always remember is how many players are on a team's roster. Uh, Obviously teams can carry up to 15 players, but not every team carries uh, 15 players on a roster. Some will carry 13 for, uh, for stretches of time. Most teams will carry 15, but some carry 14. For instance, like the Boston Celtics carry 14 right now. So do the Chicago Bulls. The Cavs are at 13. So like I say that because in any deal if you send out more players than you get back, you have to usually send it – or not usually. You have to send it to a team that has the space that can absor- absorb those players or they have to waive one of their own. Sometimes they'll be happy to waive one of their own, but you never know. The, the sorry that I would put into question for the Clippers to focus on are probably guys making between about 10 to 13 maybe $14 million because that would be the P.J., kind of like range that where you could attach something else with PJ to then get to that range. Um, I don't know what the Clippers are going to look at. I've heard rumblings, you know, that admit that they've called around uh, for certain guys, but you know, to this point, I don't know specifically like who they've kind of keyed in on. I know people um, they've seen Kelly and Linux name thrown around. I know Zach Lowe on a, on a low post with Tim McMahon talked about how he likes, uh, the Clippers as a Kelly Olenek team. I think that would be a good player for them to go get because of his versatility as both a four and a five. Um, The other route, and I know this isn't the sexy route that fans would like to see the other route that the Clippers might kind of go to go down is a luxury tax savings route, which we saw them do with Eric Gordon in the, in the off season where they waived Eric Gordon and they saved about a hundred million dollars in luxury tax savings um pj tucker's contract would allow them in just one hypothetical deal i'm not saying this is a source report or anything this is just one machination that could yield something like this uh for instance landry shaman of the washington Wiz- wizards uh he makes 10.25 million shaman for pj tucker works straight up um i don't think the wizards would have any usage for pj tucker but if the clippers sent a second round or two second rounds with pj tucker They might be able to get Landry Schammett. And then they could just waive Landry Schammett in the offseason. His entire salary for next season is non-guaranteed. And that would save the Clippers a ton of money uh, for a team that is looking to alleviate the burden of the second apron, which has drastic ramifications, not just starting next season, but also down the line. And as they try to re-sign all three of their guys, they already re-signed Kawhi Leonard. They're obviously trying to re-sign Paul George. And then in the offseason, they have to try to re-sign James Harden. Um, It's all about numbers and all about how much salary they're willing to have. And that's why I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the move they make at the deadline is to ship out. um, I I hate always saying it's P.J. Tucker, but he's the easiest guy to bring up. Like shipping out a P.J. Tucker who has a player option for next season to a team to where you get a guy who you can waive in the offseason and save a considerable amount of money off your luxury tax, therefore, you know, giving you a greater range of um, maneuverability in the offseason, so to speak. This isn't to say that they won't try to target someone a little bit over that and try to get someone who could also help not just this season but next season, but it's kind of the thought process I've had is they're going to try to clear some salary, and if they can't find a way to do that, maybe they do sign. Or maybe they do try to trade for like a Kelly Olenek, who is an unrestricted free agent this offseason, who they can re-sign to maybe a smaller number.
0: Olinick makes sense. He's a guy that can shoot the three. And mo- more importantly, he's a guy that's a great passer. Um, and so he would be a great guy in a pick and roll. And you wonder, if you do get him, does he replace Tyson Plumley in the rotation? Um, do you think that that would be the case? And then I'll ask you a second question so you can answer both. You mentioned the Shamit thing. I don't think that he enters the rotation if he's a guy that the Clippers trade for. I think it has to be more of a luxury tax thing than anything. I don't see him being the guy that replaces any of those dudes right now that are getting minutes. Maybe he's a guy that you can randomly randomly bring in if you hope he can get hot from three. But I I do think Olenek makes sense, but I don't think Shamit would enter the rotation. Where where do you think Olenek and Shamit would both um, be in the rotation?
1: I don't disagree with you about Shamit. I don't think he's going to be a rotation piece for the team. I think they would just mostly view him as a veteran-type guy who can be called upon uh, to supply them with three-point shooting. I put him in a lot of the same range that I would with, like, like say, Doug McDermott with Mm -hmm. the San Antonio Spurs, who would be an unrestricted free agent this summer. Veteran shooter, understands his role. If you lose him in the offseason for nothing, that's not going to – like, you're totally okay with that. I think that's kind of like the same uh, tier that I would put Landry Shaman in, which is, you know – we have him if we need him, but he's a solid veteran locker room guy. He's not going to make waves if he doesn't play that kind of thing. In regard to Kelly Olynyk, I think Olynyk's utility is that he can play the four next to, next to either Tice or Plumlee, or he can play the five if the Clippers want to go to a, a five-out spacing, quote-unquote, small ball lineup where their small center is 6'10", 6'11", and roughly 240 pounds and isn't 6'9", or 6'8", or so to speak, like it has been in the past. So I think a Linux utility is the fact he is so versatile that you can play him as a power forward, and you can play him as a center. I know the last time I had looked, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'd actually uh, done a little research into Kelly uh, for for potential trade purposes. I'm not going to lie about that, for potential trade purposes. But... uh, the Kelly numbers uh, with Walker Kessler on the floor have actually been solid. Uh, 337 minutes. Utah Jazz have only been outscored by 10 points. The reason I say minus 10 is solid is because Utah's not that good of a team, mm-hmm. and they don't have the perimeter defenders that the Clippers have, and obviously the offensive firepower that the Clippers have. So the fact that Olenek and Kessler together, two traditional style, you know, somewhat traditional style bigs that's 6'10", 6'11", and taller, have kind of actually just treaded water for the entire season is a positive uh, metric to look at and why I think Kelly could play the five and also could play the four next to someone like a Plumlee, who's a gifted passer or like a Tice who theoretically is a spacer.
0: So you could basically do something that PJ Tucker couldn't do is what you're saying, considering that uh PJ Tucker was an absolute nightmare when he was a four next to one of those bigs. Um, and l- listen, we'll see. I'm assuming he'll leave at the deadline. But we'll see. Uh, well,
1: I, I'm not going to say I, I'm not going to say I would assume he leaves at the deadline. Huh. Um, what I will say is, if there was a player who is likely to leave, he would be the likeliest option. Yeah. Um, I do know that there's been stuff around about how the Clippers are a little bit wary of, uh, you know, just kind of letting him go to a team who could then buy him out and he could sign with a contender. Mm. I do know that's a thing that they're wary about. I look at it as they're kind of just doing their due diligence. But also, if a deal comes along where P.J. Tucker has to go out, I don't think it's going to be something they run away from. I think it's going to be something that they uh, internally talk about and then try to get um, not the perfect value, but something of commensurate value to where there is utility for them, if not on the floor this season, then – in their pocketbooks next season, luxury tax-wise.
0: Yeah, so it's got to make sense for them either this year or next year. That makes sense. Um, Listen, Justin Russo, incredible dude that just has done a great job covering this team. Appreciate you joining us. I was going to mention James Harden. Um, So a quick shout-out to him and what he did yesterday, coming out aggressive. Love to see that. That's why you trade for him, so that PG can sit and you can still have confidence that you can win games and win them handedly. and for him to come out. And do what he did and to do it defensively as well with two steals and four blocks. You mentioned uh, the James Harden strip club, how great he's been. Um, I mean, he's been blocking shots left and right when guys are going up. He's reaching in, and that's when it's being credited as a block. He was great yesterday. Five threes as well. It's good to see him get going. Um, So a quick note. I have to say. Go ahead.
1: That's such a unique skill, by the way, that he has. Yeah. Because, like, it's not that he's just willy-nilly smacking, you know, towards the ball. Like there's an actual game plan there. Like he I I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it. I would love to to figure out like like what he like is there a scouting report that he obviously I know they all get scouting reports in their lockers before games on each player on the other team with detailed scouting reports that they that they pour over before games. I get it. I, I just I'm just curious if on his own he goes through film and notices tendencies for guys if they spin a certain way they're going up or if they like like there has to be something because he's so good at it that it's become very recognizable game by game and I have to say I've been blown away and I understand his one-on-one defense isn't the best I get that but his help defense as the low man and pick and roll settings and especially in rotational uh, low man settings has been so good that I don't think it's able to be quantified other than just the fact he gets so many blocks just swiping down on guys. And it's a remarkable feat. And I honestly think it should be celebrated more because his defense for years, rightfully so for a lot of the time, has been, you know, kind of for lack of better terms, has been made fun of and he's been poked fun at for it. But there is something tangible there where, I think he got poked fun at it fun for it for so long that he kinda it kinda got lost, you know, that he actually is a very opportunistic defender with his hands. And the fact that he's been able to generate turnovers, whether through block shots that go off a player's knee or, you know, just stripping the ball from a player before they get set, like there is tangible value there that I think has been lost along the way, and it's been remarkable to watch him do it night in and night
0: out yeah I mean he could easily be called I mean for reaching across somebody and hacking them across the arm if he doesn't do it correctly but he's been unbelievable in doing so I mean you look at what he's done this season he's averaging close to a block per game last year he was at a half a block per game and he's at one and a half blocks in the last week and obviously it helps when you have four in one game but man he's been he's
1: He's had multiple games of four by the way he's had multiple games of four blocks
0: Yeah. yeah he's been he's been really good he's been awesome man Listen, I told you 30 to 40 minutes. We've gone above that. Justin on Twitter slash X at FlyByNight, K-I-K-N-I-T-E. You can ca- catch him over at his substack, justinrusso.substack.com, where you can catch all the stuff that he writes about, does some G League stuff as well. And like you heard in this podcast, the man knows his stuff. He's Absolutely incredible. Great to have you back on after four years, man. Won't wait, We won't wait this long next time. It was great to have you on. Thanks for joining the pod.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it.
0: That's Justin. Matt and I will be back. We'll be doing a podcast next Monday after the back-to-back. So for my co-host, Matt, Matt Warren, who's not here, for Justin, I'm Brandon. You can follow him on Twitter at FlyByNight. You can follow me at Marcus. Until next time, go Clips.